Welcome to the Finding God in the Body podcast. I'm Ben Riggs. I'm excited to announce that my book, Finding God in the Body, A Spiritual Path for the Modern West, is now available for order. You can go to Amazon.com and search Finding God in the Body by Benjamin Riggs, or you can go to FindingGodInTheBody.com and place your order. If you are a Prime member, then by all means, please go to Amazon and take advantage of your free shipping. But if you're not a Prime member and have no incentive to order on Amazon.com, then I encourage you to use the Create Space option at the Finding God in the Body website. That way more of the proceeds go to me, the author, and less to the multi-billion dollar owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos. But either way, I really want to thank everybody for supporting the book and purchasing it in the first place. And furthermore, encourage everyone to share their thoughts and opinions with their friends and family and to post about the book on social media. That helps a lot. And it also helps to go back to Amazon.com and to post your customer review in the customer review section. And as always, I want to encourage my listeners to subscribe to this podcast. With all that said, we can now turn our attention towards this week's episode and the inauguration of our next president. And I'll be up front. It's really hard for me to watch Donald Trump become president of the United States. In fact, it's it's hard for my brain to form the words President Donald Trump. I, I just don't see him in any shape, way, form, or fashion as being presidential. I don't see him as a leader. I don't even see him as a mature adult. So it's difficult for my brain to form the words President Donald Trump. It's a strain. It doesn't ever happen smoothly. Um, so it is difficult for me to watch, but it's not because I'm a sore loser. I've been accused of being a sore loser when I criticize Donald Trump. The reason it's hard for me to watch is because it's difficult for me to watch a race-baiting, misogynistic reality TV star that is less qualified for the job he applied for than I am to become an astronaut, become the most powerful man on the planet. But before we wade knee-deep into the potential catastrophe that is a Donald Trump presidency, I want to take a moment and reflect upon the past eight years. Reflection gives us perspective. It enables us to draw contrast. And the contrast between Barack Obama and Donald Trump could not be starker. I'm not a historian, and I won't be responsible for determining what the legacy of Barack Obama is. But I feel confident that history will remember that the first African-American president, Barack Obama, held that office with class and dignity. He always presented himself as a thoughtful, inspiring, and intelligent leader, and throughout his entire tenure, there were no personal scandals associated with him or his family. Michelle Obama, his wife, was a magnificent first lady who emerged during the months of the campaign as an inspiring and eloquent and powerful leader in her own right. So I want to take a moment and thank them for their public service and remind everyone of Barack Obama's statesmanship because statesmanship is something that will be missing in the next administration. In fact, statesmanship is an unrealistic expectation of Donald Trump. If you're waiting for statesmanship, I wouldn't hold my breath. My hope for Donald Trump, the president, is that he can move beyond the immature and adolescent-like behavior that he exhibited not only during the campaign, but also since he won the election. I'm just hoping that he can let go of the name-calling and the petty feuds that play out on Twitter. I'm serious. I have friends with 12 and 13-year-old children who expect more out of their children than we get from Donald Trump. The other day, I took my kid to the library. We were up in the kids' section walking around, and I noticed that, you know, just like most libraries, they have thematic sections. 
and with the inauguration coming, there was a section of books about past presidents. And it dawned on me. There will be children's books with Donald Trump's face on them. That's a tough pill for me to swallow. I don't want my kid to grow up and be like Donald Trump. I don't want my child to emulate Donald Trump. There have been presidents in the past that I disagreed with, that I didn't like their politics. But there's never been a president in my lifetime that if my child came home and said they want to be like him, I would feel, as a parent, responsible to intervene and redirect them. That is true about Donald Trump. I do not want my child to emulate Donald Trump. I don't know personally that Donald Trump is a racist, but I know that Donald Trump is a race baiter. Donald Trump has used racism to advance his own political and personal agenda. Donald Trump first waded into political waters with the birther movement. He championed the racist campaign to delegitimize the first African-American president of the United States by peddling the wacky conspiracy theory that Barack Obama wasn't born in the U.S., that he was born in Africa. His candidacy began with him stereotyping Mexican immigrants as murderers and rapists. He's played footsies with the likes of David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. He's retweeted images and memes from people like White Genocide. His political success is owed in part to his race baiting the dog whistles that he's blown to white America, calling them to the polls to support him. A significant portion of the white working class views America as a white Christian nation, and they feel like those values, white supremacy and Christian supremacy, are under attack. And Donald Trump signaled to them that he was the warrior that could enter into that culture war and do battle, and do battle successfully with the political elites, and defend and restore America to that era of greatness where white Protestant Christians were in control. In Louisiana, where I live, David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan that Donald Trump struggled to disavow, was one of like a half dozen Republican candidates for the Senate. And he was able to get 3% of the vote. That's 60,000 people in the state of Louisiana that voted for David Duke. And Donald Trump used dog whistles to call these people to the polls. And in the process, he scapegoated Latinos and African Americans. And he did this so that he could insert himself as the happy warrior who would emerge and solve all of these problems. He took singular instances, examples of illegal immigrants who had come across the border and committed violent crimes, or he took extreme examples like the gun violence in Chicago, extracted them from the context in which they should be understood, and then blanketed them examples across the entire country and painted a picture of mass chaos and hysteria, uncontrollable violence so that he could position himself as the one and only messianic-like figure that could solve these problems. Now, I don't know that Donald Trump is, in his heart of hearts, a racist. But I do know that Donald Trump used racist innuendo and xenophobic rhetoric to paint a post-apocalyptic picture of America, with him at the center as this messianic character which unfortunately normalizes and legitimizes white supremacy and the white nationalist movement known as the alt-right, making them part of the mainstream in our political discourse. 
Donald Trump also normalized misogyny, and once again he did this on a subtle and on an explicit level. At the subtle level, he did it in order to undermine one of Hillary Clinton's greatest strengths, the historic nature of her candidacy. Being the first female candidate of a major party gave her a leg up, and Donald Trump sought to undermine this advantage by subtly questioning her strength and her stamina. One of the first ads Donald Trump's campaign ran against Hillary Clinton took a clip of her from one of her rallies where she was joking and carrying on with her supporters. It's a clip of her barking, and obviously the clip's taken out of context. It's played on the loop in the ad for a few seconds, and then it shows Vladimir Putin, supposedly the biggest and strongest leader out of all the world leaders, laughing, as if Hillary Clinton was a joke, someone that he wouldn't even take seriously. This was one way in which Donald Trump normalized misogyny. But as we all know, there were more explicit examples of Donald Trump's chauvinism and misogyny on display throughout the 2016 election. When Megyn Kelly confronted him about some of the comments he had made in the past about women, Donald Trump sought to attack A, one of the women he had made those comments about, and B, Megyn Kelly, rather than responding to the question asked. The next day on the talk shows, he suggested that Megyn Kelly only asked him that question because she was PMSing. Donald Trump has said some of the most horrid things about women in the past. He has suggested that it's hard to be a 10 when you're flat-chested. He's called women fat pigs. But perhaps no example is more obvious than the one we saw in the now infamous Access Hollywood tape. On that tape, Donald Trump is heard bragging about advances that he had made towards married women while he himself was married and his wife was at home pregnant with his child. He is also heard bragging about using his celebrity to make unsolicited advances towards women, saying that he just goes up and kisses them, that he doesn't wait, that he just grabs their pussy. And it's important to understand that when he says, I don't even wait, he means I don't wait for consent. And to not wait for consent before you just start kissing someone or you start groping their genitalia is the definition of sexual assault. And yes, that's a type of behavior that I'm uncomfortable with my child emulating. It's a type of behavior that I do not believe the President of the United States should exhibit, much less brag about. So no, when I complain about Donald Trump, I'm not being a sore loser. I'm being a good parent. Another point of contention I have with Mr. Trump, and another reason it's difficult for me to think of him as President Trump, or to even watch the inauguration, is the way he talks, it's the way he articulates himself and expresses himself, the way he addresses his audience. This is a point of contention for me, not because I'm some kind of oratorical snob, but because speech is a window to the inner workings of the speaker's mind. When we listen to someone speak, we see how their mind works. And apparently Donald Trump's mind works in 148 characters. Teleprompter Trump is hard enough to watch. But get Trump off of a teleprompter and it becomes unbearable. He is completely incoherent. He makes no sense. He talks in short outbursts, which may or may not even be related to the previous sentence or the topic at hand, which leads me to believe that his mind is chaotic, that he is dull or somewhat dim-witted. And it's frightening to think that we have elected a dim-witted man to the highest office in the world. Furthermore, I don't want my child emulating him. I don't want my child to think that it's cool to be uninformed or unintelligent, that you can get by or be successful without applying yourself. But just so it's clear that this is not my opinion, 
that this isn't just me editorializing his speaking ability. I want to read to you an excerpt from the presidential town hall he did with Matt Lauer. If you will recall, Donald Trump claimed to have a secret plan for defeating ISIS. He refused to disclose it because he said he didn't want to telegraph to our enemies what our plans were. Matt Lauer asked him about this secret plan because Donald Trump had intimated that possibly his secret plan was to just select a group of generals who knew what they were doing and then ask them what their plan was. So Matt Lauer wanted clarification. Do you actually have a plan, or is your plan just to appoint people to come up with a plan? Which is a fair question. The following is Donald Trump's response. When I do come up with a plan that I like that perhaps agrees with mine, or maybe doesn't, I may love what the generals come back with. I have a plan, but I want to be. I don't want to. Look, I have a very substantial chance of winning. Make America great again. We're going to make America great again. I have a substantial chance of winning. If I win, I don't want to broadcast to the enemy exactly what my plan is. And let me tell you, if I like maybe a combination of my plan and the general's plan, or the general's plan, if I like their plan, Matt, I'm not going to call you up and say, Matt, we have a great plan. Now, of course, he's saying absolutely nothing. This is completely incoherent babble. It means nothing. What happened was Matt Lauer asked him a question, and that question opened a door to his mind, which enabled the rest of the country to see into his mind. And when we looked, we saw nothing. He didn't have a plan, a strategy. He didn't even have a well-rehearsed answer to an obvious question that was coming. I don't mean to say that all smart people are great orators. I'm saying that well-informed, intelligent people are capable of expressing themselves in a logical and coherent way. The moment you take the teleprompter away from Donald Trump, the facade of logic or coherence falls away, and he is reduced to a babbling pile of nonsense. And yes, it's a frightening proposition that the most powerful man in the world, when asked a simple question and left to his own devices, cannot produce an answer that is coherent sane, rational, or even associated with the question asked. Donald Trump is not only uninformed, he's suspicious of information. In many ways, his campaign, his career as a politician, is built upon the foundation of demonizing facts, figures, the truth. When he sees a particular fact, a study, or a report as inconvenient, he simply discards it and manufactures an alternative storyline, one that works to his advantage. Then he peddles that to his supporters, which they willingly buy. And of course, truth is inconvenient the moment it offends his ego. Donald Trump is painfully immature. It is hard to watch. And I suspect it is his petulance that is one of a handful of reasons why the Russians and Vladimir Putin preferred him to Hillary Clinton. It is easy to manipulate a man that first consults his ego before making foreign policy decisions. I mean, look no further than the recent report declassified by the American intelligence community and how Donald Trump reacted to it. Donald Trump refuses to admit that the Russians involved themselves in the election, and he refuses to admit this because it offends his ego. In his mind, and in the mind of many, it delegitimizes his victory, and that is something his ego simply cannot bear. So instead, he questions the motives of the U.S. intelligence community and defends Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin. And many of his supporters accept this explanation. Public opinion of Putin and Russia is higher than it was before the election because of the political cover Donald Trump has given them. For example, 
Earlier, I posed a question on my Facebook page for Trump supporters. I asked, do you trust Obama or Vladimir Putin more? And as I'm looking at the responses right now, there are well over 100 comments, and several Trump supporters have stated that they trust Vladimir Putin more than Barack Obama. This is insane. And as far as I can tell, he lays that political cover for Putin and the Kremlin for one of two reasons, or perhaps both. One, because he's really just protecting his own fragile little ego. Two, because he wants to lift the sanctions imposed on Russia so that he can cut a deal with Vladimir Putin and the Russians that will in turn make him wealthy. And in order to do this, he needs public opinion of Russia and Putin to be high. So he defends them. Because in reality, he's defending his interests, not the interests of our country. Oftentimes, people are puzzled by Donald Trump. They wonder why he said what he said or did what he did. To sane, logical, mature adults, it just doesn't make sense most of the time. It only begins to make sense when you look at the world through his eyes, when you drop to his level. You have to remember that he is a petty, immature, and petulant person. When you look at the world through the lens of his ego, a lot of his actions begin to make sense. This is the same man who was up at 3 a.m. tweeting about a former Miss Universe telling his millions of followers on Twitter to go watch a sex tape of her because she said some unflattering things about him. It's so easy to push his buttons, and it's easy to control, to manipulate someone when you can push their buttons. If you can control their ego, you can control them. That's why world leaders preferred Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. That's why Vladimir Putin preferred Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. And in a few days, he will get his wish. Donald Trump will be installed as the 45th president of the United States. But for the reasons I've just mentioned, I will not be celebrating this. Donald Trump is not an example of the best and brightest America has to offer. He is a symbol of the dumbing down of the American electorate and the glorification of celebrity status. He might be the president, but he's not a statesman. He might be the most powerful man in the world, but he's not the leader of the free world. He might soon become the most recognizable face on the planet, but he is not a role model. He is a symptom of the problem.